The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. And those of you who are regular listeners know that that is a code. When I say three welcomes, it means we have three panelists. When I say four, which I just said, that means we've got a packed house four on the panel today. Topic today here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers is fraud and third-party risk in the live business area. Let's just, era, let's just break that down. Fraud, you know it's out there. Third party, you're dealing with them. Risk, it's everywhere, every moment of the day. Live, well, that's what we are in business. You're listening on the business channel. So this topic is relevant for everybody we reach around the world. So let me get started. The buzz today, what else? Risky business. You remember the movie? Well, it's real life we're talking about. As your business goes digital, you face what we see as a dual challenge. You've got to keep all the wheels humming. You've got to keep growing and be sustainable and be innovative and do all kinds of great stuff because you're in business. You've got to differentiate. You've got to, re- got to compete. You've got to be in new markets. Wow, it's a lot. But, 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 none of that's going to work well if you're not protecting your company from, and you know I have a long list today, compliance breaches, transaction anomalies, and other risk exposure. And guess what? The risk is coming from your customers, your suppliers, your partners, maybe your consultants, maybe your own employees. OMG. So let's look at the tech tools that are available today. Machine learning, predictive analytics. Will they help you accomplish this in real time? Meaning focus on the business and focus on mitigating or wouldn't it be a beautiful world if we could eliminate these risks? Again, our topic is fraud and third-party risk in the live business era. Let me tell you who our panelists are briefly, and then we will start to introduce them. We're going to be welcoming Carlos Russell from Turnium. He is a risk management director there. We're going to be welcoming Stefan Schaffer, S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R, a partner in the area of business integrity and compliance management at EY. Ernst & Young, pleased to have him back. Then back, Chris McLean is here with us. He's a VP and research director at Forrester. We've had at Forrester on the show in quite a while. And rounding out the panelists are good friend at SAP GRC Product Marketing. It's Jerome Pounier. After all these years, I think I can pronounce his name right. So now let me get started with our first panelist, uh, Carlos Russell has sent us a quote from Groucho Marx. I know this is a serious business show. Groucho Marx, the funny glasses, the guy with the big nose and the cigar. Well, Groucho Marx's real name was Julius Henry Marx, M-A-R-X. He lived from 1890 to 1977. Professionally known as Groucho, he was an American comedian and film and TV star. He made 13 films with his brothers, the Marx brothers, and he was the third. I'll leave it at that, but he had... From the vaudeville days, he had an exaggerated, stooped-over posture, those big glasses I talked about, a cigar, what they call a thick grease paint mustache, and exaggerated eyebrows. And now we have the Groucho glasses. Here's the quote. Learn from the mistakes of others. 
You can never live long enough to make them all yourself. Carlos Russell, welcome. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. Not too bad, not too bad. Thank um, you for joining yeah, us. Is, Tell- um, what, yeah, one go. of my heroes, really. <laughs> really? How come? Yes. Um, well, because um, I, I inherited the, uh, the, the, the kind of self-deprecating humor that, um, that he, he, he stands for, really. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I used it a lot as a, as a, you know, as a, as a source of quotes. And, um, and this particular one is about learning from mistakes, uh, albeit from, from mistakes that other people make. <clears throat> and I think we're, we're still not doing so, I think, uh, with regards to fraud and third-party risk. I think the current trends are showing interesting, interesting developments. Uh, you, you mentioned a few in terms of uh, you know, how exponential uh, the growth and, and, and acquisition of new technologies is happening in, in, in different industries. However, um, it, when you look at what the surveys from the big four, the big accounting firms are, are, are showing us, uh, PwC has this global state of information security, and they say there are more incidents, 22% more incidents attributed to business partners, and also that the theft of intellectual property has increased 56% compared to 2014. EY also did a global, global fraud survey where they call that uh, 41% of global CFOs, they acknowledge that cybercrime is a risk, um, that's a statement from the bleeding obvious, but, but also what, mm-hmm. what's the other 59% of global CFO thinking? Is, is cybercrime not there? Um, and also Deloitte, they put a third-party governance and risk management survey this year, and they say that uh, the respondents have suffered reputational damage, have been non-compliant with regulatory requirements, have experienced breach of sensitive customer data, and these are all rising from third-party actions. So we read about it on the press, but organizations are still finding themselves with, uh, with kind of obsolete or inadequate systems and processes. Uh, it is a board issue, but awareness and maturity to drive results to be more predictive and proactive is still not there. So that's why we're not learning from mistakes. Thank you, Carlos. I, I'm so intrigued. Uh, by the way, where are you calling from today? What country? I'm calling from Buenos Aires, Argentina, although my accent is not really from there. Well, it's a very charming accent, I'll say that. The reason uh, I, I was wondering is such an interesting quote. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself. We have a phrase. I don't know if it's a global phrase. It's called read them and weep. And when we talk about this Groucho Marx quote, learn from the mistakes of others, we talk about the press, whether it's the digital press, the virtual press, the old-fashioned newspapers, magazines, bulletins, things slipped under your door or faxes. I don't know if anybody even has those. The idea of paying attention, not just saying, ah, that's another fraud thing. That's happening to Bob's manufacturing down the block. Doesn't have anything to do with me. Hired his uncle, and who knows what that guy's doing to him. So I guess the lesson here, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, Carlos, is you need to pay attention to the mistakes of others. Read them and weep and then do something so you don't have to weep for your own losses. Am I on track with that? Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and also, you, you cannot afford not to be informed. So I go back to that, you know, almost 60% of global CFOs that do not acknowledge cybercrime as a risk in their, in their radar. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, are, are they reading something else? 
Very well put. Thank you and welcome. And we'll be finding out in a few minutes what you're drinking today, where you are in Buenos Aires. Can't wait to hear that. Let's welcome our second panelist. It's Stefan Schaffer, S-E-H-A. F-F-E-R, as he told me, he is with EY. Stefan has sent us a very popular quote. We hear it all the time, and it is very, very pertinent to today's topic. The quote is from William Gibson. He's still around. He was born in March 1948. He's one of my compadres in the uh, baby boomer era. He's an American and Canadian speculative fiction writer and essayist, widely credited with pioneering the science fiction subgenre known as cyberpunk. Every time I read that, I'm always surprised. He coined the term, oh my goodness, William Gibson coined the term cyberspace. I didn't know that in his short story, Burning Chrome, all the way back in 1982, and popularized the concept in his acclaimed debut novel, Neuromancer, as in NEU Romancer, 1984. Very interesting. Here is the quote. We love this one, Stefan. The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Stefan Schaffer, welcome to the show. How are you, Stefan? Hi, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Thank you. You sound, you sound wonderful. Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from a hotel room in Barcelona. I'm at a conference here. Well, I hope you're in a good hotel room. The phone line sounds great. We're delighted to have you. So tell me, are you a fan and follower of the originator of the cyberspace term? Uh, not really. I, I mean, I must say I fell in love with the quote much more than with the guy. Uh, I, I didn't read <laughs> any of his uh, publications. Fair enough. So how did you pick the quote for our show today? Um, I, I, I actually didn't hear it uh, too long ago. So um, I think the quote is working great in order to il- illustrate something which is really important. As we, we all know, um, according to what's attributed to Moore's Law, what is called Moore's Law in, in, in a wider sense, um, the computing power available is growing exponentially, and we and this can be proven, and this has, uh, we have been able to see this uh, over the last decades. Um, so I'm a mathematician by by education, and and I know that exponential growth is uh, something that humans have difficulties dealing with. It starts very very slow, actually slower than any linear growth, and it stays slow and slow and and and, and low, and then at some point. Uh, it starts uh, exceeding and accelerating to a point that uh, that it basically breaks through every barrier. So the key question in in our context is when did or when will computing capabilities reach a point where the change is so big that it is calling significant disturbance, significant rupture, and um, it it makes a lot of sense to look out for this turning point. And when you do this, and this goes back to the quote, when you do this, it is good to look out for the lighthouses of innovation that we can already find and start projecting them to other areas. And um, if we want to have a good proxy for what's ahead in changes of business, let us look at, let's say, uh, the self-driving car. Mm -hmm. Um, The capability that is required to drive um, a car without a human driver through Mountain View, California, exceed what is needed to drive significant change through automation in business. So it is way more complex to drive this car safely through through Mountain View than to automate many, many of the topics that, that humans are doing today. 
So it's only a matter of time until this um, innovation um, gets into other areas and uh, changes the world of business very, very significantly. And for the topic of compliance and anti-fraud, it means we need to start thinking how we deal with these changes that are ahead um, early on. Otherwise, um, the bus will just go over us. Mm. Thank you very much. Very insightful, Stefan. Welcome to our show. And now let's turn to our sole U.S. caller today on the show. It's Chris McLean, M-C-C-L-E-A-N, Vice President and Research Director at Forrester. And Chris has sent me a quote from Robert Wright, not the actress Robin Wright. This is Robert Wright, who was born in 1957. He's an American journalist, scholar, and prize-winning author of best-selling books about science evolutionary psychology, history, religion, and game theory. Wow, this guy is a prolific writer. Uh, the book that we're talking about today is his book, The Evolution of God and Non-Zero, The Logic of Human Destiny. He's got a lot more. Uh, also, Robert Wright is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of bloggingheads.tv. That's a website. Go take a look at it. Here is the quote. It's a long one, and I'll, I won't paraphrase it. Chris, I'll read the whole thing. Globalization, it seems to me, has been in the cards not just since the invention of the telegraph or the steamship or even the written word of the wheel, but since the invention of life. All along, the relentless logic of non-zero sumness has been pointing toward this age in which relations among nations are growing more non-zero sum year by year. Chris McLean, welcome, and can you please translate that for me? <laughs> sure, maybe not as succinct a quote as uh, Groucho Marx, but um, <laughs> really, really just interesting guy. As you mentioned, he covers so many uh, of the most important topics in my mind, you know, the biology, evolution, how we deal with each other. Uh, this book, Non-Zero, uh, stood out for me in, in all my reading because he's talking about the way that we, as people, as organisms, as communities, get along with each other and work together. This idea of non-zero is we benefit, we collaborate, and we progress through non-zero-sum relationships. So uh, you, you guys, I think uh, that the listeners would know this as um, win-win situations as opposed to win-lose situations. Um, certainly not a new idea, but the way that he maps out the evolution of humans from microorganisms to organisms to animals to humans and up through uh, different um, complexities of social arrangement, the trend is always going to be toward more communication and more collaboration. That is, we look for ways to find win-win relationships, and when we do, that's where progress happens. So I like this quote because he's saying that we have always been destined to find more complex relationships and find ways that we can win through partnership and collaboration. Uh, so in my work at uh, Forrester, I deal with a lot of uh, very large companies and help them build their risk management programs. and. I think uh, most risk managers are at a point where they can no longer be the people that have to slow things down, that say, okay, yes, we have to partner, but we have to do it very slowly and very cautiously. They have to realize that uh, these partnership arrangements are going to be the thing that drives their company to success. They have to find a way to get along with that and, and do so in a way that is safe and, and secure and uh, you know, prevents all these massive risks from happening. But they have to realize that it's an inevitability and so they have to come with solutions to make it happen, again, in that safe way. 
Thank you. I think safe way uh, is probably one of the keys to our conversation. That's what we're looking for, isn't it, Chris? We're looking for safety, a safe way to do business. Yes? Yeah, to an extent. I think the key aspect of risk management that some people forget is it's not mitigating every possible risk. It's taking mm-hmm. smart decisions. Uh, you can't do business without taking some risk. So it's True. taking taking important risks and then informed risks and doing it in a way that you're getting opportunities without too much exposure. I like that. I like that juxtaposition of risk and opportunities. Yes, we're not going to live in that glass bubble and be totally safe. Thank you very much. It's just a risk of being alive. I think that's part of what uh, what some of our quotes have been saying. Let me introduce our fourth panelist now. It's our friend Jerome Pugnet, P-U-G-N-E-T. He's a senior director of GRC Product Marketing at SAP. And I want to thank Jerome for putting together this wonderful panel. And Jerome is quoting the French fabulist, I should say the fabulous French, fabulous, wow, Jean de La Fontaine, uh, it, from the verses from the fable, The Wolf Who Played Shepherd. I think we know that in various other names. Uh, Jean de La Fontaine lived from 1621 to 1695. He was the most famous French fabulous and one of the most widely read French poets of the 17th century. It, according to Flaubert, Jean de La Fontaine, I'm trying to get all my pronunciations right, was the only French poet to understand and master the texture of the French language before Victor Hugo. And there actually is a set of postage stamps celebrating La Fontaine and the fables issued by France in 1995. Here is the quote. This is a, a rough permutation on what he was saying. Rogues are always found out. Whoever is a wolf will act as a wolf. Wolf in sheep's clothing, I think we're trying to say. Jerome, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. I'm good. Thank you. So tell me about your quote. Are you a big follower of, of uh, La Fontaine's, De La Fontaine's fables yeah. or Aesop's fables? Talk to me. It is actually fascinating. It is something that we learn at school as kids in France, um, and we don't always realize all the implication and, and sense and, and what's behind those lines. Um, I mean, through the stories about animals and characters, mostly countryside, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of good common sense, and it's, it's, it's always very um, uh, contemporary if you, if you really, when you, you read those fables, you can, you can find always lessons that apply to anything in life, really. And I found that one was really good for our topic because it's, yeah, it's a story of the wolf that uh, tried to disguise as a shepherd to uh, fool the sheep. So he tries to get close to the sheep, uh, dressed as a shepherd, and he hopes that this way he will be able to uh, catch a few of those uh, for his uh, dinner. So, uh, however, he is uh, this guy is not in the little stories. This guy is not absolutely perfect, and, and there's something that will, um, uh, you know, um, make him detected, and the sheep will, um, you know, see that he's not the guy. Uh, and I think it's especially the dog uh, of the shepherd that detects that. Uh, so he gets caught. And really what the, the quote was saying is that there's always some weakness somewhere. So it's all about finding the weakness of the rogue, of the, the deceitful person, uh, because they will let themselves go if you find the weakness. And whoever is wolf acts as wolf. Uh, that's really, for me, about patterns. You know, when people do fraud, mm-hmm. There are certain patterns that can be recognized, can be identified, and it's also about um, all these things that have to do with behavioral ana- analysis. 
because there's ways of, of doing things that you can detect with um, some intelligence uh, using technology. Um, and I think that's what's really what we can see here. We need to be able to understand those weaknesses, uh, understand those behaviors and patterns so we can identify those, those cases of frauds or potential frauds. Thank you very much, Jerome. Love to have fables. Somebody on another show last week quoted some for some Aesop's fables or Aesop's fables. Very, I guess they're coming back in style. Now it's time for me to go around the table. And by the way, Jerome, where are you calling from today? I have to ask. Calling from uh, sunny, uh, no, getting rainy now, London. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. We won't touch that one. I'm glad you're in London and I'm not. Okay, we'll leave that one alone. Carlos Russell, we're circling around the table. We want to know, we already know where you're all calling from. I'd love to know a little bit about what you're drinking right now while you're live on the radio Mm -hmm. with us or what you're planning to drink later. Um, yeah, um, so I, I'm calling from Buenos Aires, Argentina, and as you know, in, in Argentina is a country that is, is very orientated into having a good time with uh, barbecues and having really good uh, meat, and we tend to, we, we tend to want to accompany that, that dish uh, with, with uh, red wine primarily, and that's our, 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 our thing really. And um, there's a fantastic blend uh, called the Malbec, which is a, mm. a, a very strong red wine, which is very, mm-hmm. it, it, got, it got really famous over the last 20 years coming from this side of the equator. So that's what I'm planning to have, not at the moment, but planning to have later on tonight. And I think um, what I would like to recommend is uh, if you want to try and go and look into what Catena Zapata is doing, uh, on their on their wine list, there's a there's a great blend which is two types of Malbecs joined up together. They're they're of different altitude of the grapes, so it's it's a fantastic uh, a fantastic wine, and it's called the uh, DV Catena. And I think that's uh, that's what I'm aiming for tonight, if I'm lucky. Can you spell that for me, please, Carlos? The DV. How do you spell yeah, Catena? Catena is C A T E N A. Zapata, Z A P A T A, and that's the 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 vineyard, and uh, they have their own website. Uh, I think it's catenawines.com, and and DV Catena is the 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 blend of those two different altitude type of blends, and uh, they're really good. So you Thank get you very Malbec, much. Malbec, yes, it's Cabernet Malbec, you know that that kind of thing. It's really good. It's it's also on wine-searcher.com and sellertracker.com. Yes, and uh, mercadolibra.com and oh my goodness, vivino.com. <laughs> V-I-V-I-N-O. Very interesting. Thank you for the explanation. It sounds delicious. I am a fan of Malbec. I don't drink red often, but I have a favorite Malbec here I get in New York, and it's lovely. So thank you, Stefan Schaffer. Remind me where you're calling from, and what are you drinking today or later? Um, I'm in Barcelona, and I am drinking a very boring still water called Fondor that they have here at the conference. Um, I'm surprised, actually, Carlos, that you do not drink mate. So you do not have an Argentinian accent, and you do not drink mate. But you're Argentinian, right? <laughs> yes, I am, and I don't drink mate. No, it doesn't. It doesn't agree with me. <laughs> what is that drink you're talking about? Tell us. Oh, uh, sorry, it's back to me. Uh, that's a, yes. um, an infusion. It's like a tea, uh, but 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 it, but it goes with the uh, kind of Latino way of doing things together with family and friends. 
So it's an infusion that everyone drinks from the same cup using a, a, a straw ah. that you pass on. <laughs> right, and that, that's the thing. It's very spend an afternoon, very bitter, uh, drinking, drinking that. Argentinian delight. Very interesting. It sounds like something you see in movies about feudal times, where they had one cup, maybe with or without a straw, and they pass it around the table, and the the strangers are saying, "Yuck." Okay, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> exactly. Chris McLean, where? <laughs> talk to me. What are you drinking, or what are you thinking about drinking later, Chris? Well, I am. Currently drinking uh, tea. I'm, I'm uh, calling in from uh, San Francisco from my, my office here. This is my, my location uh, normally when I'm not on the road. But uh, I was on the road a couple months ago, actually basically every week for the last two months. Uh, but one of my wow. travels took me to uh, Ames, Iowa. And I found this uh, little goose leaf tea and herb shop called uh, Little, Wor- little Woods Herbal. It's at littlewoodsherbal.com. And the uh, proprietor there does a lot of different, you know, really interesting, really eclectic uh, herbal mixes and tea mixes. And while I was there, she kind of invented this new tea but based on things that I liked. And it has some uh, pepper and a little mint, a uh, little rose petal, and a penny royal, which, uh, from what she explained to me, is uh, dangerous if you drink it too much, but uh, it's delicious. Uh, so she called this pretty penny, I'm sorry, pretty pepper penny tea. Uh, so that's what I'm drinking right now. Pretty Penny Pepper Tea. I'm on her website right now. Let's see if I can find it. Didn't find that one. Pretty Penny Pepper Tea. Didn't come I think up. She made okay. It just for me, it will be uh, hopefully did. soon to be released. Well, well, I hope so. With your name attached to it, and I hope you get some revenue from that, some residuals, <laughs> if you will. Uh, her website is called LittleWoodsHerbal.com, and she talks about everyday herbalism. We specialize in medicinal herbs and wellness blends for the budding home herbalist and artisan teas for the tea enthusiast from whole ingredients with no extracts or flavors added. Fascinating. Thank you for that introduction, Chris and Jerome. What are you drinking? Anything yeah, really I guess it's tea day then because, yeah, nobody seems to be drinking coffee today. I think it's tea day. I'm tea here. Also, it's tea time here. So I've, you know, taken the good habits of um, my hosting country, the British people. I like to have tea in the afternoon and I'm having a nice Earl Grey, um, which I think I should probably buy uh, in bulk now because we all we suspect that prices are going to go up very soon as a secondary effect of the Brexit as the pound is crashing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I knew will go up in price. So now we know what people want for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> they want the ability to buy stuff before the prices go out of this world. That's a very, very interesting point. So we know where all the bonuses and the spare change will be going this year. Very interesting. Thank you, gentlemen, for your very interesting drinks. We had some water. We had some Little Woods Herbal. We had Pretty Penny. We had DV Katina Zapata Cabernet Malbec. And we had some Earl Grey tea. In case you're interested, I'm drinking Cool Clear water from a Cool Clear cup with a green straw because we're talking about business. And eventually, no matter how fascinating your business ideas, your concept, your innovation, your people, your mantra, your brand, whatever it is, it comes down to money and that's what the green straw is for. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. Our topic, if you're just joining us, is fraud and third-party risk in the live business era. 
every piece of that title of this episode applies to all of you listening to us all over the world on the Business Channel. Shout out to Ryan Treasure, who is our engineer today, and a shout out to Justin and Randy on the way to see their brother who had a is some kind of illness and is in Las Vegas. Uh, might be an interesting place to be sick. I don't know, but what can I tell you? We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial when we come back a lot more. So, Ryan out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA Finance, powered by SAP, is part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Great panel today, Carlos Russell Eternium, Stefan Schaffer at EY, Chris McLean at Forrester, and Jerome Pugnier at SAP. Topic today is fraud and third-party risk in the live business era. And we're going to start the roundtable right now with Carlos Russell. And Carlos told me in his notes the following, the weakest link. It's fascinating to see how layers of well-established monitoring controls failed spectacularly on the different high-profile hacks of the last couple of years. Carlos, why don't you talk to us? Well, the point is that, uh, as I said before, people must be uh, looking at the wrong channels or they're, they're reading the wrong kind of press. So they're looking only at the bottom line, but they're not looking at what the threat level is happening at their, at their business ecosystem to put it mildly. So you're engaging with third parties to outsource or, or, or to partner with, and uh, usually you put some level of monitoring controls to ensure that they're in compliance with what you need as a business, right? And I think one of the, uh, one of the things that is happening is that both your business and your third party are exposed to the same level of threats, the same level of sophistication of uh, anyone wanting to perpetrate a fraud or, or to try to subvert the controls that you established together with your partner. And I think one of the interesting, um, one of the interesting trends is when you read about, uh, you know, the developments on, on high-profile hacks, you realize that these people have been inside doing their, you know, uh, so-called dirty work for a very long period of time, being able to escalate uh, and, and, you know, get access to a number of what you would say sensitive customer data or sensitive data 
and I don't need to name the names, uh, but they were they were really really you know with a lot of coverage in the press. Mm-hmm. So they were undetected for long periods of time, coming from third parties or coming from inside, expanding into third parties, with going undetected from both sides of the equation. So how can we uh, how can we you know survive? Like that, uh, with that, with that uh, kind of uh, hanging sword on over our head. So, is it all scaremongering? It's not, but it goes to show that a number of tools and processes they need to be supported both by change management, awareness training, getting together with your partner, build that ecosystem of safety uh, that can that can make it work. Because it's it's a win-win for the deal of having a third party being part of your value chain. But it's a lose-lose if you're both, you know, under a security breach at the same time or from one into the other. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, before I invite the other panelists in, a couple of things in your statement jumped out at me. Well-established monitoring controls. And when you think of hackers, they may be well-established as a reputation of people who are in the hacking business, the craft, the art of the science of hacking. But they are looking for well-established, aren't they? Controls, they're looking to break in through something that is considered, yeah, we've got the good stuff here in place. Nobody can infiltrate us. Is that is that an appropriate exactly. remark or observation? Sure. Uh, the, the, the level of sophistication of, of the hacking community is going exponentially up. they they got yes. the same tools that we've got to try to keep them away, right? But the other thing they have is probably a huge, uh, you know, they've they got more people into it and also a lot of heavy sponsorship. Um, these are not lone wolves in uh, in the middle of the of Siberia trying to get in. They have government sponsorship. They have organized crime sponsorship. They got the ability to network or to recruit, uh, you know, really clever people from, you know, developed yes. side of the world, you know, underdeveloped side of the world that might be looking to, to get on uh, some, some extra cash on the side. So really it's very difficult. So you either acknowledge they exist and you know that you could be on the weakest link on the receiving end of some of their attempts, uh, or, or, or you are on that, you know, 60% of global CFOs that they don't regard cybercrime as a risk. Mm-hmm. Make sure well-established doesn't mean complacent. Thank you. Stefan Schaffer at EY, love to have your brief comments on what Carlos introduced. Go ahead, Stefan. Uh, yeah, I'm asking myself, um, I mean, or it, without a doubt, uh, societies and companies benefited hugely in the last, let's say, 20 years uh, since the invention of the internet and since the increasing um, the increasing degree of networking uh, in, in business and in, in our personal level, and it, it sometimes feels or felt like it is this is going to be you know forever wonderful. And um, I agree with Carlos. We we may just see now that the turning point where um, where we get kicked out of paradise where. Um, where we need to adjust to a new normal of of the threads impacting daily life much more than they did in the past years. Thank you very much. Good commentary there. Let's turn to, uh, we've got Chris McLean. You're next, Forrester. I'm looking around the table. Talk to me, Chris. Sure, Bonnie, thanks. I, I think we're never going to get kicked out. This is... Uh, 
too beneficial for us as individuals, for companies, for organizations. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, Robert Wright quote, this is inevitable. We are, we are programs to find ways to work together. And if you're in business, you are looking for low cost, high performance, better quality. Those are the things that drive business. And risk managers have to figure out a way to get risk part of that equation, right? If you are looking across a uh, potential uh, vendor list, you know, maybe you have uh, four, five, six different vendors that you could go with, you have to incorporate uh, your performance metrics, your risk metrics, your cost metrics, all of them alongside each other. Risk has to be part of that equation. As I mentioned before, we're not going to stop the engine of collaboration and uh, you know, you know, multinational cooperation. Uh, you know, these massive third-party ecosystems are going to be how business works from now on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just have to find a, a way to get risk into that equation. You need to be suspicious of everybody, Chris. Should that be the mantra? We, you know, we're hiring this person. We've, we've done the, the background check. We've done this. We've done that. But everybody is a potential source of fraud, a potential source of hacking. Is that the way it has to be in business today? Well, we are suspicious on a lot of different uh, angles right now. We we ask all kinds of questions about customers already. We we ask uh, who they are, where they're from, uh, what do they like to buy, and when do they buy it. We ask these questions so we can serve them better. Uh, we talk at Forrester a lot about the age of the customer, where if a company knows what they're doing, they're going to be paying a lot of attention to their customers. We should also be paying attention to their cu- to our customers as a company to see whether or not maybe they're doing something suspicious. So we are looking into all kinds of data already. We just, again, have to add risk to that equation. Thank you, Jerome Pugnier. I didn't forget about you. Thoughts on what we're discussing here that Carlos started. Jerome? Yes, and I, I thought it was really interesting that Carlos said that um, they had um, um, connection, these, these baddies, if I may say. Um, they could be part of an organization. And, and when I look at the technology side of things, uh, we can actually use now technologies that do these analysis of networks because uh, we have a lot of information out there and we are able to track those uh, relations between and individuals and, 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 and that really helps finding um, or detecting the ones that you know, could be uh, representing a threat. Um, so I'm, I mentioned earlier about behavioral analysis, also relationships between between people, uh, using that to um, to track uh, potential um, you know uh, connections and 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 um, um, uh, to 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 perpetrate perpetrate uh, fraud. And, and 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 I think also where it's 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 obviously a very difficult problem because they they get so smart, but um, there's a lot of information also out there that we can use. So it is really using technology uh, things we talk about big data, obviously, is to, to be able to, to find that information um, and look at these relationships and and also learn from from that experience. So use things like machine learning to see similar situations uh, that we're able to recognize uh, and more easily catch them. Thank you very much. Because we have so many on the panel and we have so little time, I'm not going to circle back to you to close this topic, Carlos. I'm going to go right to Stefan's list. And let's talk about, uh, Stefan, I'm looking at your notes here. Advanced technology is an extremely important part of compliance and anti-fraud concepts of the future. But here's the kicker you sent me. You said, but technology alone will not be sufficient. Companies need to learn from social networks and combine technology with concepts of community intelligence. 
integrity. A lot of good buzzwords in there, a lot of keywords. Stefan, why don't you explain that or expand it for us, please? Yeah, sometimes it helps to, to look a little bit left and right and to see if they were if there are if concepts exist that have been successfully applied outside the direct business context that, that we can learn of. And, and if you look at social networks, all of them have some sort of compliance issues, right? I mean, Wikipedia needs to make sure that it is not abused and that, that the content remains valuable with actually very little rules um, or very little formal rules or enforced rules. Uh, the same in... Uh, the same or similar if, if you look at Facebook or if you look at, um, at YouTube, for example. If, if they had applied compliance concepts like many companies apply today, they probably would have never existed. So they needed, because of the sheer volume, they needed to, um, to look for alternative ways of doing it. And one is very obviously the use of intelligent technology that sorts through these masses of data and uh, clears 99 point whatever percent of the content and raises only a small, small percentage um, to, uh, to humans that then can make the ultimate decision. I think this is, this is something very important, and uh, we need to accelerate the usage of such intelligent algorithms in business. But on the, uh, at the other end, we will never be able, even with the most intelligent algorithms, to uh, detect it all. So... Uh, and people do want to do the right thing. At least the majority of the people in a well-kept place want to keep the place as good as it is and want to do the right thing. So um, I would suggest to uh, complement the usage of technology with an enforced and then the strengthened sense of integrity. This is our place. We're all responsible for it. Increase transparency and give people the chance to, uh, to build a self-correcting system where the good prevails. I think you, 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 you cannot just trust and, and relate on trust, uh, rely on trust, um, but uh, trust plays uh, a very important role and in, a, in an increasingly complex world plays an increasing, needs to play an increasing role from my point of view. Thank you. Very interesting. Chris McLean and Forrester, thoughts, agree or disagree on this one? Yeah, that that social network aspect, that concept is extremely important. And I, and I would actually take it a, a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Certainly you can learn a lot of lessons, and there are all kinds of technologies that can drive that sort of community of good behavior. I think that's extremely important. But one of the biggest challenges right now is that big companies are heads down solving their own problems, and the regulators come and ask them, what are you doing to solve your own problem? The regulators, the stakeholders, uh, shareholders, the board, they should be helping to find a more universal system for industries. Uh, There are a couple examples of this already happening in, um, let's say, around HIPAA for security controls. There are a a couple um, instances where networks are building up around things like product safety and product quality for uh, retail and apparel, where it's a network of organizations. Some are suppliers, uh, some are retail organizations, uh, some are you know, logistics companies and so forth, where they all enter information into a single portal, and they can decide as a supplier which uh, retail organizations do they supply it to. 
and uh, have a communication back and forth. They can decide, you know, these are the people that I think should be able to look at my data and so forth. They only have to answer a set of questions one time and then feed that into the system. So it makes the whole process of documenting controls, uh, identifying gaps, doing remediation, it makes all of that much, much more efficient. And then also the communication of what that third-party risk organization um, or program looks like. That's the kind of network, the sort of social aspect of networking that will build that uh, good community of behavior. And I think that has to happen. That sort of ecosystem has to be built, and that will drive you know, really good processes internally for these companies. And that's where you start to get you know, better checks and balances, uh, better use of technology. You can have machine learning and analytics. But that machine learning, analytics, all those advanced technologies are going to be worthless unless we can come up with this kind of um, community of organizations that are working together. Thank you very much. Great insights. Jerome Pugnier at SAP. Love to get your point of view on this. Join us. Yeah, it's, uh, I heard that, and it's interesting. I'm just wondering a little bit about the speed, and maybe Chris can can uh, weigh in on that. But because the whole problem also is that it has to go so fast, and and and, and if you think about big uh, online shops uh, that are processing thousands and thousands of customers, new customers every day, and and also uh, how, how do they do that? I mean, it would be interesting to see how can they, um, you know. Um, validate the that these these customers these third parties are not suspicious um, uh, with this the speed that is required because they can't really afford to slow the business that that's that's probably the challenge thank you very much Carlos Russell let's circle around to you thoughts mm, yeah I, I agree and disagree at the same time because I'm a difficult person I think the the, the the main the main concern that I will have is amount of where the risk appetite comes when you when you're looking at it from a from a social network perspective. So if trust is a driver and trust not being a control, are we are we shooting ourselves in the foot? Um, I think there is there's an element of of delicate balance between how how do we engage and interact with the ecosystem, and also what's the our own business risk appetite in the context of that, because I'm, I'm not quite sure we, we will have enough sufficient time to do a lot of uh, wondering about on, on decision on quick and fast response if a uh, particular breach on, on a third party that is engaging with us or something that we've been breached and is, is uh, affecting that ecosystem because of our fault, uh, we, 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 we will be left behind. And I think uh, we need to be a bit more uh, probably brutal internally and um, open-minded externally. And I think that's the, that delicate balance that I'm talking about. Thank you very much. Stefan, anything quickly you want to uh, wrap up on this before I pick a topic, one from Chris and one from Jerome, before we move into our predictions round coming up in just a few minutes? Stefan? Um, not really. There is a lot to think for me. I mean, that was okay. really interesting. I need to think about it. That's fine. Good conversation. I agree with you. Chris McLean, I'm looking at your notes here. I'm trying to find something we haven't covered. I was listening to you touching an awful lot of these points. Let me just make one comment here, and let's see if you can give us a quick uh, explanation. You say, the responders in third-party risk relationships currently have a much more difficult challenge than the requesters. Can you unravel that for me? Yeah, actually, that's a perfect segue from the last conversation. I, I think I'm so, so glad. much of the <laughs> yeah, well done. 
Uh, so much Thank of the, uh, the the vendor community, the uh, consulting community, uh, us as analysts even, uh, we are focused on solving this problem for very, very large organizations, you know, the big banks, insurance companies, retail and uh, manufacturing companies that have a massive third-party ecosystem. Well, guess what? When we have good technology that makes it easier for them to ask questions of all their suppliers, those suppliers are getting hammered with questions every day. They get hundreds and hundreds of pages of questions from all of the different buyers. You know, they're business-to-business buyers that they supply to. And if you move that down the ecosystem, you have these uh, you know, manufacturers, you have uh, you know, these, uh, these shops in, uh, basically all over the world, and they're getting, again, just hammered with questions about third-party risk management. If we think about this from the customer perspective, you know, the, the comment earlier that trust is not a driver, trust is not a control, that's absolutely true. Revenue is a driver for all of this. If those suppliers want to make money, they have to figure out how to get their controls in place and good documentation. They should be investing in those controls and then have good documentation to tell the buyers, these big corporations, here's what I'm doing to protect you as my customer. And those big corporations, they should be telling us as consumers, these are the things that I'm doing for you to protect your data, your assets, your investments, your, and so forth. So if we think about the solution, it should actually start from the, the beginning, from the, the top of, or I guess it depends on who you are, but the top of the supply chain where the goods and services first start, and we should be solving their issue. We, could, we should be making third-party risk management solutions for the, uh, the responders of these uh, supplier questions or these third-party questionnaires, make solutions for them, make it easier for them to improve their program, and then push that documentation to the customers because they're getting more money that way. They're driving revenue if they solve that problem. Thank you very much, Chris. And because we're just about, we're actually, one minute will be officially in the crystal ball. I appreciate that. Jerome, I'm just going to read one comment here from your notes and just let you say something about it, and then we'll go through our predictions because we don't want to run out of time. Jerome, you told me you said third-party and fraud investigations still rely on a lot of guesswork, empiric methods, and manual tools, whereas risks often don't come from where they are most expected. What do you observe, Jerome, just briefly? Guesswork, empiric methods, manual tools. How pervasive is this? Who is still doing this? Yeah, and that's really to say that um, there's still a lot of, um, of room for automation in, in this area. And I think we, we've talked a little bit about it. And, 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 and it's surprising because we find, you know, when, when we, we talk to big companies about, um, you know, how do you detect fraud? How do you manage your third-party risk and all that? that they're still using um, very um, manual methods, compiling a lot of information. It's a very painful process. Uh, they have a team of investigators that are overloaded with information that have a big backlog. And really, um, I mean, there's really uh, help out there. I mean, this technology has really progressed enormously. And there really are ways to, 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 to analyze data very fast, to uh, identify patterns, to, um, uh, you know, use all these new uh, technologies around behavioral analysis along, and, and use also machine learning, you know, making those, those tools much, uh, those tools being, you know, much smarter and smarter uh, so that they in particular are able to analyze situations that may look suspicious 
but that are actually not uh, what we call false positive, because that's one of the big problems. You know, the um, fraud investigators and, and all these guys, they, even when they use technology or basic technology, they're often uh, you know, bombarded with a lot of false positives. So we need to have much more intelligence, bring much more intelligence to, to help them to, to detect that and, and really send them the, the fraud cases that are really uh, potentially suspicious um, and, and that they need to look at and focus on. Thank you, Jerome. Carlos Russell, I'm going to put you in the hot seat right now. Predictions, I give you about, I can't give you a full minute. We're almost out of time. I'll give you about 45 seconds. I won't count, but you know what that means. Carlos, take a look in the crystal ball at Turnium. What do you see will change significantly about this topic? Will we eradicate fraud and third-party risk any time in our lifetimes? I think we know the answer is that. Not really. No chance, and you know what. So what will change in, uh, let's look at 2020 or any time after that. Carlos Russell, predictions. 45 seconds, please. Sure. What, what, what I see is that uh, because there's lots of research and uh, R&D really in the, in the area of algorithms and, and uh, automated behavior analysis, as it was mentioned, I think we will, we will live in a world where algorithms will be ruling much, much of what we do, so taking off some of our decisions. So I think the, the, the trend for a crystal ball that I can see is that Hackers will try to hack those algorithms to make them work to, 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 their, to their benefit. And I think that's, that's uh, emerging at the moment. And I think that's where we will live. We will live in a world where we will need to secure our algorithms. And I think that's, uh, that's coming over the next five years. I think it's a 2020, 20, 2020 thing. Thank you. Very interesting. So they're going to be focusing on algorithms now. I think we need another show about that. Stefan Schaffer, EY, what do you do predict? 45 seconds, go. Um, in 10 years, companies that did not integrate highly intelligent compliance algorithms, compliance and anti-fraud algorithms, right into their business processes will be in very serious trouble. Brief and to the point. Thank you very much. I was waiting for the pause that refreshes. Okay, <laughs> Stefan. Chris McLean, I'd give you an extra oh, maybe 30 seconds because Stefan was so generous with his time. Chris, Chris, yeah, I'm like Queen Solomon here. We divide, we divide it evenly if we can. So Chris McLean and Forrester, what do you see how far in the future and what's interesting that you can predict for us? Yeah, two things. I think, first of all, the the drive for better third-party compliance, that's anti-fraud, quality compliance, better risk management in general, will be driven in the next five years, driven more by customer requirements than by regulatory oversight. Customers move faster, they have more access to information, and they can decide if you're not holding up your end of the bargain as a customer, they can switch to another provider very easily. So part of that prediction will be in five years, probably less probably more like three or four, we will, as consumers, be able to walk down the aisle uh, of, a, of, a, you know, of a mall or, or a store, or we can go online, and we will be able to be very granular about our expectations for compliance, things like um, you know, better, uh, better quality products, uh, more, um, you know, more responsible sourcing, better fraud controls, better security and privacy controls. We will be able to dictate those requirements as consumers with our purchases, and large companies will actually bend to our requirements because it's going to drive revenue for them. Wow, that's a good one. Okay, and Jerome Pugnier, I saved ooh, about 40, oh, 30 seconds for you. Jerome, quickly, predict, please. Oh, wow, yeah. 
well, rogues will be smarter. They will always get smarter. You know, this is not going to end. And we're going to have to be always smarter against them. And when I, I was hearing what Carlos was saying about, you know, it's, it's, it's really the battle between, it's going to become the battle between uh, from uh, artificial intelligence against another artificial intelligence. They can use identity fab, using robots, etc. So, but I think in all this, and we talk about algorithm and how sophisticated, we just need to, stick to the simple thing and always re- go back to my fable. These guys, they leave traces. They have a history. They are weakness. Just look for the weakness. We find the weaknesses. That's how we're going to catch them. Everybody has a price and everybody has a costume malfunction. <laughs> a shout out to Janet Jackson. Yes, we all know that. There's always going to be malfunction in that sheep's clothing dressed as a wolf I th- or a wolf in sheep's clothing. Thank you, Jerome. Carlos Russell, such a pleasure. Stefan Schaffer, a pleasure. Chris McLean, a pleasure. And Jerome, always bring me wonderful panels like this. And a shout out to our colleague at SAP, Chris Grundy, who sponsors this series. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been very interesting. I hope you all gained a lot of great insight. So we're going to say here's my call to action. Thank you to Ryan for being our engineer today on the business channel here we go fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and do something about risk and fraud management today and don't be that sheep in wolf's clothing or vice versa talk to you tomorrow on coffee break with game changers live on the business channel 11 a.m eastern bye bye thanks again for tuning in to financial excellence with game changers presented by sap helping you to run simple to keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game changing week.